Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms. And also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, Avery. Avery is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. Today we have a new story. We have a new storyteller. I have the pleasure to welcome you, Vivian, to Urbanistica Podcast. Hey and welcome. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here and live, not uh, through a computer. So exactly. Amazing. We talked about this, I don't know, for three years, two years. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I was supposed to be the first. No. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Vivian? Um, I'm very good. I'm very happy. I cannot believe I'm in, I'm in Helsingborg. I was also not planning, but I've been twice now and it's such a wonderful place full of details in the public space. Yeah, you're more than welcome. I'm happy to see you here, actually. Yeah. I thought, OK, I thought we're going to meet, but maybe like in Netherlands or somewhere else, but not in Helsingborg. So when you told me that you're coming here, I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I am so pleasantly surprised about everything i've seen and yeah. it's also nice to know i don't know your uh, place where you grew up so it's amazing, amazing. yeah <laughs> so you were here for the two days of uh, place making how how do you find the program do you like it well, memories no i mean uh, i think it's so nice that we focused it on well yesterday specifically on play and childhood and to get to know these memories of all of us yeah it's it's very nice because it shows our connection to the space as people and that's our main our main focus as well right what in, inspire us it's not the design or <laughs> anything like that but how to build strong relationships in our cities and every activity that we did made us build a strong relationship among each other and again this feeling of a family that we only yeah. get when we are in these place making events i think so it so was true. really nice. What is the best thing with uh, Helsingborg City? What, something that you really like? About Helsingborg? Yeah. <laughs> I love that circle in the, <laughs> in the harbor. <laughs> <laughs> now you should explain to our listeners. <laughs> well. <laughs> because yesterday I was asking you, okay, where are you going? Where are you going? You'd be like, I'm going to the circle, to the circle. So which, <laughs> what circle are you talking about? <laughs> to the about? magic circle. <laughs> Well, no, Helsingborg is amazing and it has so many details, but I I love to work with play and um, play not in the sense of games necessarily, but the playful experiences that you can have in the public space or anywhere that surprise you, even if they are five seconds. So when I first came to Helsingborg, and that was last month, actually, um, we we got to this 
circle in the middle of the of the harbor, like next to the sea, which is so beautiful to see also because there are all the the boats coming from the other side and everything. But there is just a simple circle on the floor that shows north, south, west, east. And uh, then we were that time like 40 people maybe. <laughs> and someone told us like, hey, stand in the middle of the circle and say something. And then that person would say anything like hello or yeah. whatever. And they made this wow face like, oh my God, I cannot believe it. What? But nobody else know what that person was experiencing. <laughs> <laughs> so we were in this long 40 people line to go try what is happening when you get to the circle. And um, I don't know if I want to say what happens you when not you say? get to the circle <laughs> because I want people to come to Helsingborg, look for the circle, stand in the middle and get that wow moment <laughs> but it's basically just an experience that uh, you you feel different with yourself you hear yourself different you are so surprised about something that it's so simple right <laughs> but uh, i think that any place that it's kind of secret yeah that it's kind of a playful moment uh, in the cities it's amazing to that's amazing to experience <laughs> and i know it's very simple but that's probably my mm, favorite mm. place in Helsingborg. but of course <laughs> i will never so never like, I, I will never imagine or because nobody told me that this is their favorite place or coolest thing they ever experienced <laughs> like in Helsingborg. so when you told me yesterday i was start to laugh i'm like <laughs> are you serious <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So, Vivian, you, uh, I follow you on social media, on LinkedIn. I follow your projects. You're doing an amazing job. So, I would love to know more about you. How would you like to introduce yourself and and tell us what are you passionate about? Well, uh, I always introduce myself as an Ecuadorian. <laughs> I realize uh, so. I am from Ecuador, but based in the Netherlands. And I think that shows my connection to, to my roots or what I want to show uh, in everything that I do. And uh, I think it comes from this um, sense of being Latin American, that it's a bit complex, but quite nice uh, at the same time. So I think we say, well, we're open, we're about a celebration, we are about... Social. You know, social and um, that's also what we do uh, through Wasipichanga which is the the company that I that I run right now so we are an uh, urban consultancy and the meaning of Wasipichanga as a word it actually comes from the indigenous communities in Ecuador um, that they build their houses together. So if we are part of a neighborhood or a community, I would never, you know, just build my house for my family, but I will call you and all the neighbors to do it together. And then I'll go help you do it. And they always say, uh, one man cannot build a house, but 10 men can build 10 houses. And, uh, and then the day that they finish the construction and they put the roof and they make a big celebration, that it's the Wasipichanga. Mm. Uh, so I think that's what we also want to show uh, through our work, that we work with co-creation, with community, and that these are things worth celebrating. Like we're building more than a space. We're building this sense of, of community, of pride that brings us together. So, yeah, I, I like to introduce myself uh, in that way mm. first and how these um, community experiences or 
very cultural experiences are something that we want to bring to everything we do around the world. Um, and I guess apart from that, it's, you know, the, the typical professional thing that, of course, I, I love saying I'm a placemaker, but uh, I was trained as a lawyer, then in urban planning, urban management. Uh, now I'm also doing a PhD on child-friendly cities, uh, if that's the, the most formal way to introduce yourself <laughs> professionally, I don't know. <laughs> well, 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 well. But it's, uh, yeah, those are just tags, you know, I think. No, there are so, like, many big stories behind every tag. I would love that we go back in time and you tell us, like, in which city you grew up, how was your childhood, and so on. We explore more you as a person. <laughs> what is, who is the person behind the tags? Yeah, well, so uh, I grew up in Cuenca, which is a city in the Andes. So we are surrounded by huge mountains. It's very high in the altitude, like 2,800 meters or wow. something like this. It's a colonial city, so a very nice historical center. We are world cultural heritage. Uh, we have a huge um, natural park that it's a national protected natural park near our home. Uh, that has like around 300 lakes and uh, a lot of biodiversity that is very much from that place. And we're very famous in water management because we use all the water from that park. We have four rivers in our city. So I would say we're very much um, connected to nature, but not too aware of mm. what this connection is or not uh, very explicit about it. It's just something that it's it's there and you don't realize until you go out and you're like, okay, the rest of the world is not as nice as this city. <laughs> 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 I, I just want to say with this that we were very lucky uh, in that city. It's super nice. So my childhood was very... <sighs> Very simple, I would say. I I was very lucky. I grew up with um, my parents and brothers and sisters that are 10, 14 years older than me. So they were always taking care of me and I was the baby. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of friends and uh, it was, uh, yeah, very happy childhood, I have to say. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. And, and, and how was then like uh, that you start to study? Because you didn't study urban planning, right? No, I is, is that something else? Like, <laughs> well, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. Everybody will tell me, like, yeah, you know, you are all about justice because I was that kid that when somebody, you know, got bullied or if the teacher were mean to any of us, I will You're stand the one. up yeah. and defend it, and you know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so everybody already saw me as the as the lawyer. Yes, and that was the only career path that I thought for myself as well. I was like, no, I'm definitely going to study law so i studied hard i got into the school i was one of was the it in home or you traveled abroad it was at home it was okay, in, in, yeah, in yeah. cuenca as well so i entered to to the to law school i was a very good student so then one of my professors uh, said like yeah you can come to work with us so i started working oh that's in the good second year wow but then I started working and I'm like, oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> is, wait, is it five years of uh, education program? Yeah, five years. Why it's bullshit? <laughs> what <laughs> happened with the justice? And <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> so, yeah, 
exactly. It's a, I was so excited about bringing justice. Yeah, like a but, Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we, uh, and in theory, it's super interesting, you know, to study law as well. But in practice, first of all, it's not always a happy place because people only come with problems, you know, and I'm more uh, of a happy person. Yeah, like a conflict. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's mm. a conflict. And second, that it's very much um, individual interests. You know, they come with a conflict that they want you to solve and they want you to use the law in the way that it would benefit that individual person. Yeah. And I thought that, no, I want to bring justice collectively. You know, how can everybody mm. have a sense of justice? How can we use justice to avoid this conflict at the very end? You know, I didn't want it to be a lawyer that just starts working when everything already is a problem right mm, mm. but how to avoid these problems so i said no i'm leaving law i really don't like this wow what did your family say like you're crazy <laughs> no my mom was like yeah do whatever you want it's fine but what do you want to do and i'm like i don't know you know i've always <laughs> wanted to be a lawyer <laughs> but it's interesting like uh, vivian because i mean you it's you study so much and you get into the, to this program and it's not easy just like to how to say to say no i don't like this fuck it yeah exactly. you know like <laughs> i mean the, the the social pressure the pressure also that you study so much and now like you're just quitting exactly so, so it's, it's really brave of you you know i mean yeah and, and but the thing is you know my mom was like you can do whatever you want but you need to know what you want to yeah. do and i on, on the other side i thought like well it's okay um I mean, you normally want to know where you want to be, but it's also good to know where you don't want to be, right? Yeah, it helps a lot. <laughs> exactly. But at the end, I didn't know what else I wanted to do. So I finished law. Huh? I studied uh, all the finished? five years, yes. Oh, my goodness. And I work in the law. You worked for, also? For seven years, eight no. years. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this was the, the, the irony should, you should of it. Me. I was like, you're so brave. You want to quit. Exactly. I was okay, not then you brave. Didn't, huh? you, then you didn't quit. Yeah, <laughs> fear it was just i have no idea what else to do so in the meantime i'll uh -huh, just keep because doing it okay in case like you it's like how to say a safe uh... it was my hobby <laughs> <laughs> i had also i have to say i had a lot of help from my friends because sometimes i was like i'm not going to class i don't care and they'll hand in uh, the homework for me huh? <laughs> so i always say i didn't do it alone <laughs> it's like <laughs> me it's like me in italy i was like i i, I didn't attend so many classes but sometimes <laughs> I was like helping and sometimes I was like it's <laughs> <laughs> a collectively that's how we graduate <laughs> exactly no and, and for us we have the same class I mean the same uh, classmates in every class for yeah. the five years wow so you become really close uh, it's not like oh I take one class with 100 yeah. people same and people continue yeah. no yeah. it's the same people so we are super close till today yeah and my dad sometimes asks me like oh I have this law question. Can you help me? Oh, really? Wow. And I'm like, Dad, I have no idea. I'm not practicing law anymore. I hate law. <laughs> yeah, like, why did you study law then? Like, to have a lot of friends that are lawyers, and then I can ask their question, your question to them. <laughs> so it was worth it. <laughs> Do you ever need a lawyer in Ecuador? Exactly. You can call I have, me. I have friends, I have not friends. me, but. <laughs> No, so it's, it's funny, but I actually finished. I all understand. The way. Yeah, wow. No, it's like it's big, like because I know it's not easy to 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 get into this program and to graduate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you made it. <laughs> I made it with a bunch of help, but yeah, I made yeah. it. Uh, and then you start to practice seven years. So you like working with 
yeah so so the thing is well i started to work in the second year and then i keep going yeah. on this then i was very active in uh, university politics so in ecuador this is kind of a big thing in a way like you get 6000 people 15000 people from the university supporting you you get um i mean if you get selected as the president of your university of course, yeah. in a way but we i mean the whole people at the university is active for mm. social causes so when i i got to do that um I started also exploring what is it that we can do together, right? So we did a lot of programs for um, children that were in vulnerable conditions. So for instance, that couldn't um, go to, I don't know, extracurricular yeah. classes or something like that. And they were in their house uh, in the afternoon, uh, a four-year-old taking care of a two-year-old because the mom is a single mom that has to go work. Mm. And we lived like... I don't know, like three blocks away, you know, from the campus. So I was like, well, let's let's open the campus for these children to come here. And we're so many students, many of us lacing around. Let, let's take care of the children. Okay. <laughs> so we took uh, we we made a big program where you could basically adopt these children. Really? And like go. an official program with, with rules and everything. Yeah, exactly. So we opened the, the campus um, gym and sports uh, facilities for the children to come every afternoon to do their uh, homework there and then you could sign up and then you know go and help them for a few hours that's so and, sweet and this is still going on uh, wow. till today in the university so that's something that we are always uh, very proud of as a team but of course we also use that space to do a lot of cultural events that were public that were free yeah um and we we pushed uh yeah, a few programs for the city uh, from from this, I would say, almost privilege of being a university student, right? Like we are, we 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 are very privileged mm. to be able to study, to be able to, you know, have time to question what's happening in the society. Exactly. So, uh, when I was in this role, I really used my time to not go to classes <laughs> other people <laughs> were not <laughs> but to explore these and uh, i would say from a very transdisciplinary perspective because yeah. i had to work with every career and they had different ways that they wanted to achieve for their personal careers or for their um, classmates of yeah. course in in what they were studying but at the same time to put it in practice collectively so i think we we did a lot of progress in mm. that and mm. that was very mm. nice yeah but but like I know, like, we're going to talk more about, like, the child-friendly city and so on. But the interest for for children and children's perspective, this passion, when did it start? Like, how? Well, so, um, after we graduated from, from university and um, <laughs> and I didn't know what to do, my friends that are architects, they call me and they say, well, we're going to Central America to backpack for two months and you're welcome to come. And I'm like, yeah, this is the time because, you know, I finished I'm university, I'm lost, <laughs> yeah, let's go, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but we are going to a social architectural workshop for 10 to 15 days. Okay. And I'm like, okay, but I'm not an architect, you know. They're like, yeah, no, it doesn't matter, it's social, so you're social, you can talk to people. <laughs> So I was like, all right, it's not a problem, I'll go. Eh? Yeah. So I went, and when I arrived there, like, don't tell anybody that you're not an architect. <laughs> I'm like, come on. <laughs> so like, yeah, we took a spot away from someone uh, yeah, so yeah. that you can come. I'm like, talking about justice. <laughs> talking about justice. I'm like, this cannot be true. Yeah. <laughs> but 
Yeah. I reached there. Yeah. And the day, this was in Nicaragua. And the day we reached, there was a big earthquake. Oh, yeah. Super big. A lot of mm. places um, yeah, went down. A lot of people lost their homes, their businesses, a lot of public spaces. Even the main cathedral was completely turned down. So it was a, a shock. Yeah. Um, but we decided to continue with the plan. So we were in a city that was not that destroyed, but still had some trouble, I would say. Yeah. And uh, we decided to, you know, reactivate public spaces. And we had really cool mentors that uh, made us look at it in a different way. Um, or maybe I was looking at it completely different because I was the only not architect <laughs> there. But we reactivated the public spaces. We put certain design elements that were super simple and just to attract people. Mm. But these places were kind of abandoned for a long time and people had not noticed them. Yeah. So although we put very artistic pieces, if you want to put it like that, that didn't have a specific utilitarian purpose, mm. people were attracted to these places. They came there and then they started to talk about how they're going to rebuild after the the earthquake. Yeah. They started to sell things there because now there was people there. And then I remember this lady that was selling drinks and she told me, oh, you know, you've brought justice. <laughs> like literally, oh. she told me, oh, you've brought justice now because now we can really, um, you know, economically be prosper in mm. this place. Mm. And for me, that was the eye opener. You know, I thought like, oh, wow. I mean, if you can really build places where people can get together, when people can, um, you know, be be progressing in the way they want to be, whether it is as a business or just a place to be with their children or whatever it could yeah. be, a place to talk and decide how we're going to rebuild mm. the community after a crisis. That is the way to make justice, as, as she said, right? True. So then I said to all my friends, like, when we go back to Ecuador, we're going to do this in the public space. Uh -huh, we're okay. going to reactivate yeah, yeah. public spaces. And that's how I went a little bit into the placemaking thing although i didn't know it had a name <laughs> i have to say yeah um and because so, so which year was this 2014 okay and uh, so because we had this political power if you want to put it like that from the university and mm -hmm. we had these strong uh, leaders from the university that we were all graduated we got together and we said okay now let's do the programs that we were doing from the university but, but in the but public here, space yeah. And uh, it was interesting because we, when we were at the university, we could say, "Oh, we are the representatives." Yeah, of you the have university. like uh, you belong to some to exactly. some uh, institute. <laughs> exactly, but now we were nobody. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> like well, <laughs> so we decided to just put a name. That's when we put the Wasipichanga. Wasipichanga, and we were. 16 20 people wow so many a lot yeah 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 and we decided okay let's go and and, and activate public spaces but was it like an, an association or, or, or it's an organization right it was a group of friends honestly at the beginning it was like <laughs> no, i mean uh, when you started you didn't yeah. start it as a business like it no. was more no it was a collect well first it was really a group of friends that we wanted to do volunteering work but with a very specific approach of the space. Yeah. Like we need to reactivate public space and that's what's going to, um, you know, bring good things to the people. Yeah. Um, which was a different approach that probably many people in the city have of doing charity or, you know, 
I don't know. Yeah. So, so I think that's, that's how it started. Mm. And so to answer the question on the children, uh, when we started approaching the public spaces, the first people that came to us to ask what's happening were the children. And of course, one reason is because they have the time. <laughs> yeah. Second, because they're curious. And third, because, you know, they just don't judge. They just can ask, well, yeah, well, what is happening? Yeah, you know, let's like, explore. Just explore, exactly. So they wanted also to play with us if they saw us painting or building something. And that actually forced us to simplify our message because... Mm having architects and lawyers and everything working on these, even if it was such an informal project, we had these very political <laughs> statements of what did we wanted to do and how are we going to convince the people and so on. Yeah, like what is your mission? Exactly. Mm. But when, but nobody was asking us, huh? so only the children. <laughs> so I was like, okay, we're not going to use these but words. Did, did you... Did you <laughs> <laughs> did did you do this like you got a permission to work or what when you act, when you say want activate like what does it mean so one of the things we we did was um we just went to um yeah it was a rural area actually we just talked to the people and we asked them like if you could have a new public space what would that be and we didn't go with any resources permissions anything and they asked us to to do a market. They didn't have a, a market at that yeah. time. And so we were analyzing the space and our proposal was to then go to the to the provincial government and ask them for the money to build a market with the community. Yeah. But as I said, when we got there, then the children started following us. Mm. And we realized, well, why are they following us? Like, you don't have anything else to do. Go to play or something. <laughs> huh? And then we realized they had no space to play, like, and they had nothing to do. Mm. <laughs> and the biggest problem of the community, or what these people in the town say, is like because children and youth don't have anything to do, they leave the community, and we are, you know, just losing our town. And we have a lot of places where people can do tourism. We have uh, a lot of places for agriculture, but we don't have the people. Yeah. And then we, of course, notice, like, of course, the children don't know this. The children don't have anything to do here. So let's do something for the children. And mm. we did a playground and we explored with them um, the different uh, touristic spots of the place. So everything that we built on the playground was connected to mm. that touristic spot so that they knew all the value of their place and how did they want to show that value later? How did they want to work to attract tourism yeah. to that place? How was, how was the method? Like if you, if you can explain to, to, to me and to the listeners, like you have the idea, but how was that you work with kids or you, you went together to the yeah. these destinations? So, so we found that the next to the school, they used to have a play playground, but it, yeah, got destroyed and yeah. the school was also in a very bad condition. Mm. And uh, at the end, well, they they simply didn't have anything. Uh, so we were kind of worried because we knew we were going to build and we were just going to build Inspire on these uh, spots and then ask the children, like, what do they like? How do they want to play? But if you ask them, how do you want to play? They're going to tell you, well, I want a swing, right? Yeah. So we decided to just observe how they were playing without anything and see how we can enhance that already existing dynamic 
into something that you know they could really see and use mm. and so on and so the children were there all the time we at that time we did not have a methodology but we did have people that studied uh, psychology and education so they could manage the children <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was really not a full methodology or anything like that um we started building the park with the children and as i said that forced us to simplify our message like there is nothing i mean we don't have to convince anybody about what we're doing but the children so how are they going to understand the benefits yeah. besides uh, playing and so they were the ones going to their families and saying well these people is doing that and there are many that cannot use tools or a mm. hammer or anything and I mean us. <laughs> so the children were bringing, oh, you know, my grandfather, ah. he's the best at building. So I'll bring him to help you because you cannot do it. <laughs> because you suck. <laughs> you suck. Yeah, literally like that. <laughs> but that, I mean, it was a very short process, not more than eight days, maybe. Oh. Re really? Yeah, it was super short. Super short, yeah. But by the third day, we had the whole community building the space. Like wow. everybody. It was a very small town, but they, they everybody don't, was Like there. they don't ask you, what are you doing here? Why you're doing this? You know, like because you're, you're not from there. Yeah. So they, they should question you. Yeah. No, no. Of course they question us and they also question us um, why you didn't do the market that we expected when you first came ah, here. Okay. Yeah. So they did said, I mean, they did look at us as students still yeah even if we were not uh that just wanted to do something nice so they're like well if there's nothing there and they're gonna do That's something fine. yeah why not just do Let it them. why not yeah <laughs> but it evolved in a way that uh they realized that we managed to get everything that we needed to do the park yeah and one thing we never ask for money actually at the end we only ask the municipality or the provincial government to give us the old tires that they had from the trucks and then everything else the community brought i mean they already really? they already had the tools they already had certain things and we were there at the space trying to figure out what how we, are we yeah. going to build it what do we need but by the time we were listing the things that we need there was already the expertise <sighs> of the community saying hey you don't need anything but this rope that i Could already help, have yeah. and i will do it you but know? <laughs> did you spend your own money also uh, a little bit but i mean for transportation okay and, and not food, on by material no, no, no okay. not for the materials. That was completely brought by the community. And I have to say, they, they were a very poor community. Mm. Uh, but they they realized that, okay, I think that they also felt this expertise very naturally. They really realized that, okay, they have a good intention, but they really don't know how to use the tools. But I do. So I'm going to yeah. go and teach them. But that created this dynamic that they were teaching us a lot of the stuff and mm. we were happily learning and so they built it themselves mm. we just came there with the possibility yeah with the idea that this can be done and uh, it was amazing because as i told you the school was in a very bad condition and so they told us well we've been talking to the ministry to for them to rebuild it or to at least, you know, change the windows and make a path mm. to go up because they had to almost climb a mountain, you know, there were no stairs, nothing. Uh, so they're like, well, we've been talking with them for two years. But after this, well, I mean, we can just do it ourselves. <laughs> True. And we went back 
two months later and the school was fully repainted windows were there they wow. made the whole stairs themselves <laughs> so it was just this park of if you get together you're gonna do it exactly we're also very critical about that process because um the people should not necessarily be taking the responsibility of the government mm. you know the government is still the main responsible for us at least to provide the proper course, schools yeah. and facilities you know so they didn't have to wait for the two years and they ideally didn't have to rebuild it themselves either but at least um so we are not also you know going beyond that line because i think it's good to to, to, to know your rights and responsibilities because now here in Sweden what I noticed that people are not so much engaged in, in, in such projects and and the argument is that okay we pay taxes and the government is responsible for this so they should do their job it's mm-hmm. not my job I have another job mm-hmm. and I pay taxes to them so fix it and that's became a kind of okay why should I like I will not involve myself in in doing something in a public space or recreating it and so on because it's not my business you know it's not my task yeah and and there in your story it's the opposite like (laughs) what the fuck the government's not showing up you know yeah exactly and in a way i mean it was a great transition from okay the government is not showing up so i keep complaining complaining exactly but the spark of i can Mm, solve it actually mm. and it would be better for all of us was great because it it, it shifted their needs to something that was already done by themselves and empowered them and they it brought them together but that doesn't mean that this is the rule this is the standard yeah this is the standard exactly That doesn't mean it should always become your task. I mean, I think that still the government is fully responsible of providing these facilities. And it's only, we have to come to this middle ground, as you said, like that, okay. What What is this middle ground from your opinion? The middle ground is to maybe come back to this expertise, as I was saying, right? That we went there with good intentions, with a few resources, Uh, with knowledge, maybe, if you want, from the university. But there was a lot of knowledge that we had no idea about, you know, from what the children needed to how the children played. They play very different than in the Mm. city, uh, to the hours that they use the space, to actually using certain tools for that specific soil. Like, no architecture degree gave us the knowledge to dig the hole in that specific ground you know (laughs) but the people that have been living there of course they they knew Mm. so that middle ground is also needed in the government i mean the government should have the resources and the knowledge and the processes and the evaluation and all the uh, process in place but when you go there you need to let the people take a part on it fully so not only ask the people and the consultation that we talk about sometimes in participatory process gather data yeah, but how do they really feel that the process is theirs? How do they? How do you make this process so flexible that everybody can put something about themselves in it? Okay, so you mean like in involving people in 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 doing the action, not only in the like uh, gathering data phase and the mapping phase yeah, and talking, no. like let them also be part of 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 do of the action of doing it, yeah, mm. and 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 of making mistakes if necessary, you know, of that creativity. Mm. That's the only thing that builds our spaces. And I think it's not only for the public space or the very professional uh, urbanism side, you know, but that happens 
everywhere, like, mm -hmm. and especially in Latin America and probably other similar uh, contexts. Um, people, <laughs> people test a lot in their own houses, you know, of course. some days like, yeah, I'm going to put my chairs out and we are going to drink tea. And then the next day your chairs are not there. And then you think, okay, this was a bad idea. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, you know, some, yeah. I don't know, you do these different yeah, things yeah. and you try and learn. Mm. And so how do we provide that flexibility for the cities as well? Like, you know, in, um, wider yeah. context i would do say. we do we the question is do we why do we need to do that i mean like it's gonna be i mean we there is a system in the city and keep this system why you want to break this system and let people experiment in the street then it's gonna be ca um, what do you call it like in switch we, so we say cows like chaotic <laughs> yeah so like w what is the point of letting people experiment in the public space what is the value that we get back well they are going to do it with or without a system. That for sure. That's uh, <laughs> the history of cities always <laughs> and forever. <laughs> because even if you are not aware of it, you are always owning a space. Like right now I'm sitting in this chair. I feel the queen of this chair. I can move as I want. <laughs> Vivian, it's not ours. The Helsingborg city chair. Like, exactly. <laughs> you know, so the system of Helsingborg has provided this chair. <laughs> Careful with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking this chair home. <laughs> <laughs> With the taxes of the suite. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but what I mean is really that, um, that, you know, like we don't, sometimes we don't feel that connection with the space. You True. Know, you know, you know, and mm. I... I feel this so much because as a lawyer, I never thought how the space or the city was influencing what I do every day until I got into this field where architects yeah. were telling me, no, you know, if the wall next to you is blue or black, it will change your day completely. And I'm like, nah, come on. But it does. It does. It, <laughs> it, does, does. it does. But the, the, what I meant is that people still, maybe if they don't know these things, they will still have this dynamic of experimenting because of how they feel. Yeah. So today I feel that it's sunny and I want to sit in the in the in the street and then i feel that oh actually the street is not that nice so i go inside and maybe yeah, you I change need your mind balcony. Mm. you change your mind so it doesn't matter if it's a system there in place for you to use that space or not your feelings are gonna take you to a journey of adapting the space mm. where you want to be if you have the chance yeah yeah and if you don't have the chance you know sometimes you go against it and you try it or sometimes you just kind of limit your well-being because the space is not giving you that opportunity of feeling better there, yeah. right? Which I think that's the whole sense of justice for me. Mm. Like there is so many people that can actually decide how do they want to live, where do they want to be? And then there's so many people that can't. And, or maybe they can and they don't know that they can yet mm. and so that's why the participatory processes or the letting them do letting them change and and not only that but facilitating these processes yes. for them to try can bring this sense of justice because then you're fully a part of the development of your city and they don't have to think from how do i want my city to be blah blah, blah. but how do i want to feel in my own sidewalk you know do i want to feel that i want to sit there and talk to my neighbors or I don't do, like my neighbor. <laughs> do, do you think it's a mistake? Because um, sometimes I hear that um, we, we like 
professionals, let's say urban planners or, and, or, or let's say all the professionals, they, when they reach out to people, they say people don't really give us an answer like uh, about how their f- they would like to see their future city and what is like a 2050 city looks yeah. like. Yeah. And I think, as you mentioned, now, it's because like it's how to say the scale is too big and it's too abstract and yeah. right. So well, like, what is your advice? What should we focus on when we talk to people like? I think a lot on the emotions, like how do you feel today sitting here doing this? Um, what will make you feel better on this specific space and on the spaces that you normally go to? What is a place that you never go to and why? Because it's always because of a feeling <laughs> or of course of a need. But mainly I think the emotions drive us into what we want and we don't want. And so this is also when probably the children's narrative comes back because they are more connected to their emotions and less to what the system tells tells them to do. Um, so, of course, when you, when you talk to them about how they feel, about where do they want to be, I mean, if I, even if I ask them, what is the child-friendly city for <laughs> 2030 yeah, yeah, to yeah. children? Believe me, they will never say, I want a thousand playgrounds made of chocolate. No, (laughs) they will tell you, ah, well, you know, my parents are suffering because they cannot go to work because the bus doesn't come. If they're real needs, they are super aware of that. Yeah. So I I want my mom to feel better. I want my mom to be happier when she comes home because she doesn't like her work or because she's working too much. Um, I like my grandparent to come with me to the park, but he doesn't come because he doesn't have a place to sit or he gets bored or there are not other elderly. So these are hints that no designer, urban planner, I mean, needs to know us. I need more benches. I need a toilet. Mm. I need a better transportation system. I you know so so like like focus more on on feelings to get the answer about the physical um like more focus on the software yeah. in order to get how should yeah. the hardware look like yeah instead of asking the opposite so what is like the a good place or no like yeah. what is the city how is, is how will this city look like in the future yeah or we do a lot of these um workshops with children where you say draw your favorite park and then you get a hundred drawings of a swing <laughs> because that's <laughs> the idea that's of a true, park right so that's not the way you I think you have to go out with them and just let them do what they want to do and then observe when are they the happiest. Maybe they're the happiest when they manage to wrestle in the public space. (laughs) 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 Or maybe they're the happiest jumping from house to house, you know, uh, playing to ring the bell and run to the next (laughs) house. (laughs) But, you know, they don't even look at the swing when you go out with them and do that. So looking at those um, emotions really allows you to think then of course your task and your responsibility as a designer to think about the hardware and the design yeah. that would mm-hmm. allow these emotions to happen again and again okay in the public space. Mm-hmm. so so back to that story like okay you, you did that uh, public space was a focus on like it's on the playground so uh, then did it become that okay your niche is working for children hmm. well not not really we then moved to the next space. Okay. Um, and it took us a few spaces <laughs> to say, oh, we should focus on children. How many years are we talking about? 
Uh, so this was 2014, uh, I think maybe 2016, we decided a little bit more that we wanted to have a methodology for children specifically. Okay. And 2016 was also the year that the municipality called us to work with them as a business. Oh, that's good. And uh, so Like the, all the 16? The yeah, yeah. I mean, not the full the year, but certain projects. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then 2017, we all went to study our master's abroad. So then we stopped it. <laughs> okay. And when in 2018, we came back and we said like, no, actually, this should be a company. Uh, like yeah, like we, a more formal business. Yeah, formal business. Uh, also because, um, of course, we realized that the work that we do is not charity. We are adding so uh, much value yeah, to yeah. the city, to mm. the people around. Uh, we are boosting the economy in some ways. So this should be, and this is a serious, a serious business and it should be yeah. everybody's business, <laughs> you know, uh, in a way. So, yeah. so that's why we transition into this, this part because people ask us why, oh, you work with children so nice. Uh, they, they feel space. sorry for you. Yeah. Why don't you do an NGO? That would be nicer. <laughs> We're like, well, we could, <laughs> you know, but that's not the point. Yeah. And I think politically, we are very strong in that sense that charities are great, philanthropies are great, you can give a lot of money, but there's still a one-man decision of what do I feel sorry about? And it shouldn't be like that. It's, it's really, we should be very aware of what brings value to the community and the public sector should bring value to the community and also to the private sector. So it should be seen as a business in a way you yeah, know? yeah like uh, i'm not saying uh, it's far different from say privatizing right it's it's more like we need to start um talking about value and not talking about money and i think that yeah the private sector can bring a lot of money to the city and at some point you need it but if you don't have the public sector that brings the value, that brings the, sta the stabilizer, that brings the justice in a way, if you want to put it, the city is always going to be unfair. Uh, the city is going to always be unlivable in a way because you are in completely different conditions. So I think that what we are doing through talking to the community, to changing the spaces, even though it's a public task in a way, um, it has so many uh, nuances to it that bring value and that you can, I, I'm not sure if this is the word I want to use, but that you can monetize at the end and say, especially because of the context that we live in, in which only monetization is valued. Yeah. Okay, then let's use that tool for now mm. until value becomes the real measure uh, for, for everything, yeah. right? Yeah. A social value, a emotional value mm. that we're talking about um so so i think well we became a private business and not an ngo because we believe in that value and we are kind of okay we we have to be in this system that values it in, in money maybe yeah. but it's more because we want to make that statement of, of, of value in a different way and not that you expect that certain topics need to be someone rich being sorry about it <laughs> and certain topics yeah. you know should be about i don't know needs or that people just like it and spend their money on it so is it the same um, uh, reaction you get when you tell people that you work 
uh, with focus on children they say oh that's sweet oh my god yeah, like yeah. this feeling sorry yeah and how many children do you have <laughs> 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 no yeah we get that reaction a lot and, okay and mm. also of not being taken seriously right because children are not taken seriously themselves no. So oh, you work with children, it must be super nice. Yeah, like colors and uh, yeah. fun and jokes yeah. and happiness. Exactly. And it's not like that. It's not like that at all. Children are having so many crises uh, that, that are reflected because of the way we build our societies, right? So if you take children seriously, if you take their development serious, you are building resilient adults that live in less conflicted societies and it's probably this idea of yeah children don't matter for now <laughs> yeah that gives us to the consequence that we we grow up and then we feel that we are not valued as adults either huh? yeah because the way you're treated when you're young shapes completely the way your personality is when you are older mm. so bringing that value to them making them understand how amazing they are how how much knowledge they have uh, giving them the freedom to explore what they like and what they don't like and to make the decisions and to also respect the other children's decisions that shapes them into adults that will do the same with their peers at an older yeah. age right so i think we have to be very serious <laughs> about how mm. we we treat our children and and topic of children in general is it true that a city for children is a city for everyone because some people say no it's it's not true because i'm an adult i want to go nightclub and it's not something related to children yeah so do you agree that a city for children is a city for everybody i do i do because um i think that you need you can use children as a as an indicator <laughs> in a way of uh, of how healthy a city is how safe a city is because you will think like okay if a child can be running around then you will feel safer you know uh, whether you have children or not or whether you want to go to the nightclub or not <laughs> uh, so you like the the the, <laughs> the example it was random about the nightclub. <laughs> and I mean, if you see the children sitting outside the nightclub at two a.m., you'll doubt about the healthiness of your city, right? <laughs> so exactly. I mean, <laughs> now it's really it's it is a good indicator for everybody. But also, when you look at the needs of the children. Um, you can create better systems in general. So, for example, in terms of mobility, mm. okay, um, we have always planned the transportation systems in a way that we want to make sure that everybody gets to work and then to shopping and then back. Because we've always had this monetization model huh? of how are how is the city producing more, how is the city making more money. So, like, we need people working and and spending yeah. and coming back. Yeah. Um, But if you really look at the numbers, um, the people that use this transportation system the more, the most, is the people that are caregivers um, and with care, caregiving obligations. So if you compare a 25-year-old man with a stable job, uh, they do two trips a day, 
to work and to home. <laughs> Maybe three if they do something yeah. else, they go to the nightclub. <laughs> But, Or to the gym, yeah, like exactly. the three points, yeah. The three points. But if you look at, um, I don't know, uh, any, let's put a mother, but it could be anybody taking care of someone else. Or let's put, you know, someone that is also 25, also a man, but that has to take care of their grandma, for example, yeah. right? Then you need to first take them to the hospital and then maybe take them for some recreation and then going back to the, uh, I don't know, to the to the house to eat and then maybe they have to go to the bank and you have to take them. They cannot do these, these things. And so you end up doing six, eight trips a day. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole theory, if you want, of the mobility, uh, yeah, mobilities of care that really show you the real need in the transportation system and what creates congestion, right? So if you manage to actually use uh, things as a 15-minute city and put the facilities in a way that they have to move the same amount of times maybe, but closer, uh, and then you put maybe the work farther for, for the for the people who only have to go to their works um then the traffic for everybody is less so everybody has more time <laughs> for doing what they feel good about mm. going back to the emotions and it can be that i feel better about going to visit my grandma And a mom feels better if they can reach to their house at 5 p.m. instead of 7 p.m. and be with their children. And it can be that you feel better because you have more time now to go to the gym, right? Yeah. So at the end, we don't all need to be parents and have children to, <laughs> to like the city. But we are all earning more time to feel better about ourselves. And I think that is the real indicator of the child-friendly cities that because we have excluded them as a population, but they have such a big decision-making in their family lives, in their caregivers, and the caregivers are a lot <laughs> in the demographics, mm -hmm. they end up making the dynamic of the city um, crucial. And if we don't look from that lens, but from someone else's dynamics, we are being blind at what is actually you know taking less or taking time yeah. from us taking space from us so adapting that will make it better for for everyone mm. so a child from the city is not only about uh, looking on on children and creating playgrounds and no. co col colorful uh, walking path or biking lines no no not at all i would say it's about the development of children And what that means for their families, because, and this can also, um, I mean, you can question that if you live in a city f where there are no families, do you need this? If you live in a city where the demographics is not about children and caregivers, do you actually need to think about the child-friendly city? Uh, you know, maybe you live in San Francisco, and in San Francisco is about uh, being a CEO of your own technological company and you live with other 25 to 30 year olds and you don't care about children. But studies have shown that these cities don't live too long because at some point in your life, most of the people yeah. will want a family. So they'll move out of those cities. Mm. So those cities are not sustainable anymore. So the city that is not thinking about how to include families as a demographic in their cities, they're not going to last. 
<laughs> so if you ask me, everybody should be thinking about the child-friendly city. Yes, because mm. either you don't last as a city, you'll be yeah. unsustainable at some point because, and you'll create unsustainable communities because it means your population is going to be moving out all the time. Because once you once you get a child, you don't want to live there anymore, and then of course it's yeah. not a community yeah. anymore. Uh, or you do live in a city where you have families and then you have to take care of the needs of that demographic group mm. in order for all the city to thrive. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the idea and that's why we, we push for this child-friendly city thing, but it's definitely, I mean, you can do a lot with playgrounds and of they're course, amazing, yeah. but it's definitely not reduced to that. Mm. And also like, because in uh, during the two days, uh, yesterday during the placemaking day here in Helsingborg, we did then a workshop about uh, like uh, with focus on on, on children or city and also this playfulness and what does it mean and and you 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 gave us so many interesting information mm. um i would love that you also share with our listeners the one about how like uh, how playfulness can can impact children even if they they're like hungry or or how was it like yesterday when you mentioned so we well, there are a lot about a lot of studies about early childhood development and exactly, children development yeah. in general, right? So, uh, we've always fought when we talk about children. Uh, the world has mostly focused on uh, nutrition, so zero hunger is like one of the biggest labels you will have, uh, and of course, uh, education and health, yeah, providing water facilities uh, and you know proper proper nutrition and food and so on. Uh, but newer studies are kind of shifting because they've realized that in many moments of crisis, you will still not be able to comply with these needs. I mean, uh, in a sudden war crisis, for example, or in the climate change <laughs> crisis that it's coming more and more mm -hmm. tangible, uh, you will not be able to provide food and, and all the needs that people have urgently. So we need to build more resilient humans, which is also a narrative that we can criticize in other <laughs> point, but <laughs> you need to, to build humans that will be able to, you know, accept those shocks and then build better from, from those shocks. And so resilience is a big idea of early childhood development. Now, how we make that these children, no matter what conditions they have to confront in the future, because we are in a future, we're looking at uncertainty. That's the only certain thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how we make sure that they are strong yeah. and that they can cope with that. So play is one of the, of the rights that should be taken into account because when I say, oh, I'm going to this place and I want to play, I want to build a playground for children, as I did in the first example, they were like, yes, but we need a market or our oh, children don't even have food and look at the school. Why are you focusing on play and not I, on exactly. everything else if that's secondary? But I think now if you are hungry and <laughs> this is very much into the personal emotion, if you are hungry and you have nothing else to do, you'll feel more hungry. Like you'll feel you yeah, need more, right? <laughs> you, yeah, like psychologically, <laughs> you're going to think about that. You're, yeah, you're hungry. I, mean, I know it's, this is a simple example. <laughs> but <laughs> And if you're hungry and distracted, well, maybe you forget a little bit about the, that essential need for a while. I'm mm. not saying that it's not something it's so that we have to care the, yeah. about. But it's true that if you are 
a child in a vulnerable situation, that it's about crisis, that it's about war, that it's about migration, it's very possible that you will feel hunger mm. for a while. Uh, but if you have a strong connection with your care caregiver, if you feel that someone's going to give you the support, if you feel that everything's going to be all right, if you feel that, well, I can still play and laugh and forget about the seriousness of the world right now, yeah. you will become more resilient. And I'm putting these in very simple examples, like, okay, you'll feel more hungry or less hungry, which sounds very simplistic, but in the in the scientific world, I mean, the studies show that really your brain keeps the connect keeps building the connections that you need to be a well-off adult, you mm, know, to mm. to be um, to be able to to develop your cognitive skills, your physical skills, even if you did not receive a proper nutrition. Uh, so um, they say it's very nice, but. When you are zero to three, you have almost a million connections in your brain per second. Wow. So we have no second to lose, <laughs> you know? Wow. <laughs> and then you lose that in mm, the, when, you yeah. are, when you're an adult. So when you're a child, all these connections are happening because you're learning about everything that's happening in the environment. And so if you don't have anything to learn from, uh, even if you are well-fed, <laughs> um, then that opportunity of making those neuronal connections goes away. And even if you give everything that a child needs when they're eight or when they're nine, that opportunity is gone. Mm. So we really need to focus on early childhood development to provide everything that they need to make those connections because that's what's going to make you a stronger adult in all the senses, emotionally, mm. physically, cognitively, uh, in the sense of resilience. So we're trying to now put this value on play as a as a right that has to happen at the same level of nutrition, of education okay. or water, because that's what's gonna what that's what's gonna build resilience. And so yesterday we were talking about play, of course, but play um in a way that you can uh use that to build three specific principles of development. So the first principle is to build stronger relationships so that you feel part of a community, that you feel that you can count on someone. It can be your parents, it can be your best friend, it could be anyone, but you know you have a person to go to that's crucial for children, for everyone. Uh, the second, that you can build skills, so emotional, cognitive, creative skills. Um, and of course, the third is that you feel good. We were talking about that, but it's specifically we talk about reducing stress because yeah. stress, even if, again, even if you're well fed, even if you do sports, if you have a stress in your physical system, you, you're not going to be healthy. Mm. So we talk about reducing stress and well-being and feeling better. So these three things we need to make sure that happen in a children and play is a great tool to achieve that. Mm. So so now what are you focusing on? In general. Like in, in from your uh, at your work. So what is your, your focus areas now and what kind of project you work with now? Yeah, so we have uh, three areas. Um, well, uh, we we call the we call the child friendly city a vision. <laughs> that's that's what we work on but we have of course different methodologies different projects uh, that we that we want to work on uh, the first one is very much on play 
so how do we advocate for play in a way that we see the value for the whole society through that? Not only play for children, but for everyone, because um, even if you think about that we were playing yesterday, yeah. that re- brings a lot of connection among sure. us, that brings a lot of creativity, that brings you to think outside of the box. So if we can create more elements of play for everyone, we can also develop better skills for everyone at any point and also build better relationships, reduce the stress, etc. So we focus a lot on that. Uh, the second thing that we focus on is on this um, methodology of urban pedagogy, we call it. So it's a methodology to teach children about the public space and how they can make their own public spaces, how mm. they can influence those public spaces. And this is a mix, of course, of yeah, knowing how the build and natural environment impact what you do every day in your life and being able to connect with it and being empowered to to do something about it, like what we do in placemaking all the time. Um, But also it's a way for governments uh, to expand their limits of participation so that, again, they don't go and say, okay, draw here what you want, and then we make it up. (laughs) Then we'll buy the standard swing that they actually, you know, draw. (laughs) But to really uh, go through a critical process of, of what you need. But also because, not only for children, but also because children act as the messengers of the whole community. And maybe going back to why we decided to work with children in yeah. the first place and how the, why the municipality called us is because we used to go to the public spaces and say, we're going to do something. So we used to talk to the neighbors. Yeah. But when you knock a door, the neighbors will be like, yeah, but... Who are you? From which political party are you? Yeah. Why are you going to do something here? What is your agenda? Here? What is your agenda? And you must have a hidden agenda. Mm. But children realized that, or did not did not doubt us. You know, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? Like, what's going to be the end result? Or how am I going to have fun in the process? Yeah. <laughs> so then, when you we work with children, we really knew how to. Um, uh, simplify that message and they will bring the message to the adults, as I said, right? So the municipality also very smartly thought, hey, come. Yeah. We have projects to do, but when we go, we cannot really rasp the needs of the people because either they are already doubting the government or they're from the opposition or they just ask us for needs because they come to the top of their heads, but not because they need it. So can you go and talk to the children and tell us what we should do in each neighborhood? (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment in which we develop a methodology to work with children for the development of neighborhoods, okay. not for the development of spaces for children, but for mm, the development the of entire, neighborhoods. Yeah. yeah. And it was not about, it was specifically about how to gather the needs of the neighborhood by asking the children, because they will know better. <laughs> why, why not asking the adults? <laughs> because the adults are biased. Ah, uh, that, okay, okay, now I understand the point, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, uh, no, not always, of course, yeah, maybe yeah, there yeah. are some... Uh, yeah, no, for sure, for sure, there are always, yeah. But, I mean, it, it happened a lot. It's like, oh, you know, in the other neighborhood, you put a pool. I also want a pool. But do you really need a pool? <laughs> I mean, I'm just... Yeah, like a giving example. But yeah. that sucks, actually. Because also yesterday, I had also, like, when we were having the dinner, uh, we talked about, it's sad that cities lost connection with people. 
Yeah. And now start using like hiring others. I know like sometimes there's a limit of resources and so on, but there is no these boundaries mm. like between you as a civil servant and the people. And you see it's difficult to go and knock on door and talk to people. Yeah, no, completely. Um, it's it's sad in a way, yes, because they are the public servants, so they are there to serve the public, right? And if True. there's no connection with the public, sometimes they don't know what to do. They don't know their next action. Uh, but it's also good that they are trying these creative ways to to explore how they can connect to the people again. And since they've been doing the same things for so long, maybe that creativity doesn't come from them anymore, sadly. Mm. So if they can bring groups that are trying and testing things out, maybe then they can, of course, yeah. take that over and, and change it. So again, it's this fine line on what the public should do and the private should do. But we, are, we also need to know as, as a business that we don't want to stay there in that municipality doing that job forever. Because then you become a municipality. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> so we also we just want to spark that creativity. Like, yeah. hey, we're going to test the methodology. We'll mm, tell you mm, the results. Mm. Then you go and you y do you it work yourself. Further with it. And you evaluate it and, and, and change it in time. I mean, it, this shouldn't be your... Like the forever model. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's also like, I also wanted to mention that when we say like... Um, citizen doesn't want always complain or or civil servant they all they, they are not brave enough to knock on the door we don't we don't mean everybody of course they are like the one who are good in doing this they're the one who are lazy in doing this so when i address this i also yeah. want to say like shout out to the people that are doing the job yeah. and when we say like cities uh, are not brave enough i don't mean like all the cities you know no, like no. but it's an it's an example of of like we have a challenge and we're trying to address it and pass it yeah and of course going back to how you feel every day it yeah. applies here too because sometimes you can be this amazing public servant that want to talk to everyone but you feel disencouraged when you see that okay even if i wouldn't be doing anything it wouldn't matter you know and it's just such a personal decision yeah um so how do we facilitate the lives of public servants as well so how do we come with models that will keep them building creativity, keep them motivated, keep them feeling good every yeah, day yeah. about what they do. And that's why I'm talking about emotions so closely to systems. I do think we need systems. I do think we need methodologies. I do think that we need to analyze it sometimes farther to learn the lessons from every process that we do. But the end goal is to feel good about it <laughs> at, any, at, at, at every point. Yeah. Um, even if you are talking crisis, even if you're talking poverty, you know, even if you're talking very harsh conversations, the end goal is I'll feel better after this. I'll feel that I can do something. I'll feel empowered. I feel that I've brought value. And I think for public servants, we need to also provide that trust and provide that environment where they can grow thinking that in their roles they will do something that it's that it's yeah, great yeah 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 and and like what, what do you think the biggest mistake uh, we we are doing when we plan cities i think the biggest mistake from, from this point of view like the child-friendly city point of view yeah i i think that the biggest mistake is ignoring as i said that the the seriousness of 
how you treat your children. <laughs> mm. uh, we focus a lot, again, on, on the money, what will bring us money as a city. <laughs> and uh, maybe, well, we need to attract investment. That's the biggest idea, right? The ecosystem. The ecosystem, the creative economy that I, I love. But that's, uh, for me, that's still a big mistake because you're still focusing on how to make money. And making money doesn't make you healthy, doesn't make you happy. It's not an immediate condition for you to feel good. For me, it will be this feel-good city, you know? <laughs> like, how do I make people feel good in this city? Feel really happy, feel relaxed. Mm. Feel, and that's maybe this new concept of healthy cities and so on that you focus so much on the emotions because it's a very simple very simple concept, but you see there are a lot of very rich people that could have everything in their lives, but they're not happy. It's the same with our cities. You can have the richest city that produces so much, yeah. but people is not happy in the mm -hmm. city. So the biggest mistake, I think, is still going to that productivity money mentality instead of that feeling good mentality. Like, mm. I feel part of the community or I have fun here or I am myself in this city. I feel happy every day and when i'm not happy i can go to someone <laughs> in this city uh so the, the the emotional city if you want to put yeah, it like yeah. that yeah mm -hmm. so <laughs> like emotions are the should be the starting point like yeah, somehow i think so yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's too, and and children connect you a lot to the emotions so the child-friendly city is it's also like a, a good a good frame to start from do we need because like let's say I, d I study urban planning but we didn't study some course about how people feel or like mm -hmm. emotions on this kind of <laughs> yeah <laughs> no uh, we study like uh, yes uh, we study how to create experience but we didn't really focus on emotions so like now i'm here i'm working uh many urban planners are already like in a senior level so how can we get this knowledge of of thinking uh, emotions and so on do you understand my question like yeah completely yeah um what can we do i think there are two things you can do so one is to bring this to the education system from very early because in the school I don't know how is it here in Sweden, honestly, but in many places they don't teach you this emotional intelligence that, or how to connect with your emotions or how to communicate your emotions, even as a, even as a child, you know, they teach you hard skills like math and <laughs> literature and physics, uh, physics and English. <laughs> so you had a, everybody has a hard time uh, being emotional <laughs> or vulnerable or, you know, being able to express it. Um, so that's one thing we need to really focus on that as, as part of the education system as well, as part of teaching, as part of learning, as part of connecting. But the other thing is, yes, what do we do with the adults that already, you know, maybe yeah. are 50 years old in, in, a, in a municipality? And I would say that the best thing is to allow them to click with their emotions in, in the space. Um, so maybe some people will be like... Yeah, what is this at the beginning? Yeah, exactly. This is bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit. But um, but then if you can give them the right data, the, the moment after they feel the emotion mm. that tells them the benefit, then it will be, you know, uh, uh, an eye-opener. Yeah. So yesterday we went out, we went to the 
to the play space. The first thing we did is we talked about our own emotions. Where did we like to play? What is that memory True. that brought us happiness? We played with each other. We, you know, we fought. We, uh, you know, we jumped. We kind of experienced it ourselves. We allowed ourselves to feel those emotions in a very professional setting, if you want. And then we discussed, okay, what spatial feature <laughs> would allow you to feel this emotion even more? Mm. Like in your profession, in the things you've learned from the university, can you now connect it and say this two by two bench will make more people happy? Uh. <laughs> and then you feel like, why is it important to be happy in the public space? Yeah. So that connection of very hard data still, or, you know, mm, very mm. hard skills, but with the soft skills that now you're allowed to explore in a professional setting can provide this new dynamic, I think, mm. of how to think about everything, not only uh, urban planning, or but if you are an economist <laughs> in just, the bank yeah. and yeah. you can <laughs> play and, you know, I think every every setting where you can play, when you can be yourself, when you can be creative, when you can think outside the box, when you can enter to the magic circle, we call it, when you when you do a game. Yeah. When you do a game, the game always has to be voluntary. Yeah. yeah? yeah. So if, and it has to be that imaginary place where you know you're playing and it's not real life. That's called the magic circle, like the one in Helsingborg <laughs> that I want to call the magic circle. <laughs> No, but um, that is that is that is yeah the magic circle, mm -hmm. right? So if you are, you create more magic circles in every space, yeah, professional settings, familiar settings, etc., you will create another type of relationships that will allow you to think about your daily life, your daily work in a completely different way. And what like because I, I i guess you work with so many projects with so many different clients and so on uh, let's say i'm also an, a professional working and then i want to raise up this question of of we should like make it more child friendly or look at child friendly city aspect within this project and then the client be like no uh, i don't want to do that so how how can i deal with this situation just to convince the client that this is what we should think about the child perspective or the child aspect in this project hmm. where to start um i think a, a, a great way to do it and and you are doing it already really good is to tell the stories everybody has a story and they're gonna have a story and they're gonna have a story that was shaped based on their childhood and psychologically speaking every anyways everything that we do as adults was in a way marked um, or defined because of something that marked us as children. And if you uh, search for that personal story, uh, you will think, what was it in their childhood that was amazing and they would like every child to have? <laughs> or what was it in their childhood that they hated and they don't want any other child to experience the same thing? And that can be in any space, you know, I, I, that can be, as I said, if it's an economist or a politician or whatever, whatever mark their personal lives in their childhood, they can replicate that from the position that they're having now for the future children or for mm. the children that we have now everywhere. And I think that is a great motivation for them to, to see from that perspective from whatever you do, what can you do for, for the children? What can you do for your inner children, in a way, at some point? Mm. And I say that because I also think that all of us have power to change the world individually. So 
whatever made us who we are today that came from our childhood, it could be anyone. That person can change their daily tasks or their daily jobs mm. thinking about the children now. So so it's possible. I think it's possible. Yeah, yeah. It sounds very idealistic, but I think it's possible. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. What What are the like uh, recent projects that you work on? And I know that you started a PhD as well. Yes. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, something happened in my childhood then. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, well, I'm I'm working in this uh, in this play advocacy. I'm working in this project of urban pedagogy, so we're trying to test the methodology of how we can teach uh, children about the public space and how it influences their emotions, but then how they can influence back to the municipality. And we're testing it uh, in Ecuador right now, but we want to develop a flexible methodology that we can be tested everywhere. everywhere so yeah. if anybody wants to do it, I'll be happy to, to discuss it. And uh, my PhD is about child-friendly cities. When did you start it and which, with, with which university? Uh, I'm doing it in the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. And I'm part of the spatial science uh, one, but <laughs> faculty. But uh, yeah, I am doing it from a perspective of public policy a little bit. Like, uh, So what, what are you going to explore or the research question? Um, or what, what do you call it? Research question? Yeah, research question. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, it's... Uh, it's uh, I sound very academic now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are all academics in <laughs> too much too much <laughs> professor mustafa <laughs> <laughs> professor mustafa <laughs> yeah no really uh, no i mean the research question or it's um what are the things or the factors that enable or hinder or stop politicians specifically or public servants to build child-friendly cities so uh, is it not the answer clear like ec economy no money yeah that's that's <laughs> the thing now uh, yeah, so <laughs> you ask them they say yeah resources it's not that it's yeah. what we were talking right now it's like i'm not aware that yeah. a child needs something to develop in certain mm, way because mm. i study architecture i didn't study child development i, true, don't, true. I don't know like i study material colors and uh, how the mat the thing is that we know so much about materials, like how the material feel good, in which temperature, next to which material they have a good relationship, but we have no idea about people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> really, really. Yeah. So uh, when you when you think about the, that, uh, people don't tell you knowledge. People are like, of course, children are beautiful. I would love to do things for children, <laughs> but I don't have the money or I don't have the mm -hmm. time. It's not that you just don't have the the awareness. Yeah. Uh, or I don't know. So how how long is your PhD? Uh, it's four years. Wow. So I'm in my second year now. Already, nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I want to I want to explore this narrative of of child friendly cities. Almost yes, it it sounds like a label, but I want to explore what are these um, design not design but knowledge elements that the municipalities already have, mm. but they are not exploding you know because they don't um connect it to the to the label of child friendliness and what are those things that they really don't have and that we can create tools for them to to connect mm. and to actually achieve uh, child friendly cities because there are municipalities who do it perfectly you know that's true shout out to all of them that's true yeah i mean 
Helsingborg. I think it's a great example mm. just from from looking at it in both ways. Huh? So it's well, first of all, it's a small city as well, and the scale helps a lot. The scale helps definitely a lot yeah. that you can have children, you know, running around everywhere. But at the same time, um, I think there is a strong awareness degree in the yeah. city about what you want to do for children like True. i think maybe even with the expo uh, a lot more but it's amazing that you can see the important places of the city following a character that is specifically designed for children and you're learning about your city uh, in a playful way and it's it's not only what the children are learning is mm. that Adults make decisions based on what children need. Yeah. So if I'm a parent, it doesn't matter how much I love my independence. <laughs> I True. need to provide for my children. So whatever they want to do, I'm going to do for yeah, a while, yeah. right? So a lot of these decisions of, uh, of what the children are looking at, as an adult, I will also look at. So they're also learning through these. They're also going to these parks and yeah. being active. They are also, you know... Uh, learning about the ocean life <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because that's what their children mm. want to go and see it's interesting we think we are adults we can uh, like influence <laughs> our decisions but in the end <laughs> 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 it happened with me like last week because my sister lives here in in, in uh, helsenborg and she has two um, children and i told her let's go to this area and she'd be like if there is something for my kids to do i'm coming with you and i said <laughs> Yes, like imagine like the entire, how to say, the decision-making was based on if there's something for them to do yeah. for the children. Yeah. And and also like this is what I love about H20. It's not because like the City Expo, not because I'm the ambassador and I want to like say cool things and so on. But they really thought about the child perspective, like yeah. the activities, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there is this talks for the businesses, but you always see some activities for children yeah always like integrating all the activities which is like i see really great you know like i'm I'm so happy like like now i can visit every destination with 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 children exactly and it's so amazing because you are a global uh, expo right yeah and what happens in these professional settings is that people is like, oh, where am I going to leave my children? You know? Exactly. I have to travel for four days. I'm going to have <sighs> to leave. That. There's so much arrangements. Mm. I probably don't go. But if you can come to a professional expo to do all your business <laughs> things and your children will have fun yeah. and will see it and will be excited about it. It's a completely new world for yourself. Right? True, true. So I think it's an amazing job, but mm-hmm. I'm also curious, actually, because you work on child-friendly cities so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like my my passion and mission and, so and I, love. Yeah, no, I, I'm really curious about if anything of what I've said so far is new to you, or you will think like, no, that doesn't work. Like no, that. no, because of course. I'm not talking, you know, from a from a perspective that. I know about child-friendly cities and nobody else does. Everybody does that start from there, but you are such a professional in thank this. You, so. Thank you. No, the, the, what I, why I was, how to say, chasing to talk to you because you're not an urban planner. Uh, yeah. I'm an urban planner. Yeah. So your perspective is completely different on, from what I, the perspective I have or work with. That now, like what I learned from you now, like thinking about the emotional part as a door to create better cities. You know, yeah. or think about like the other side, like how children influence our decisions 
and make us feel good. Yeah. And like think more about the software first than the hardware. Mm. So I don't do it exactly 100% as how you thinking. So now when I when you and now I think we talk it's 1 hour 30 minutes, but I'm enjoying it so much because this is inspiring, you know? Like I'm thinking okay, how do I integrate this? How do I integrate this? And I totally agree like what I work with now is more focusing on 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 children like their experience and the hardware. Mm -hmm. But my entrance point is not really emotions. Mm -hmm. It's more like, okay, both like software and hardware, but not like, I don't talk emotion as a first thing. Mm -hmm. We talk more about how, how do you experience, but I think I should step back and talk about emotions because emo experience are emotions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, you just have to say, now you upgraded me. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> no, I, uh, no, because I, I also see your work and I see how you uh, have invited children here and you give that space, you know, for yeah. them to talk about what's important. And I think, as you said, we think we influence everything that children do, but they influence what we do. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, giving them a space like this mm. is giving them serious space for True. for being influential. Mm. So I think that all these are just building into what we what we can create as a society. Yeah, from the emotional yeah. side, from the hardware side, from the from from every Ex space. Exactly. So. And about about your PhD, I'm I'm also interested. Like, how is how is it how is it to do a PhD? Like, what do you do now? First years, do you do you read or like what is the process? Because I know. With many of my colleagues, we talk about, okay, so what if somebody do PhD? How is it inside, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah. it's a good moment to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a very different process for everybody. Uh, let's start by that. It's very, it's an individual process in most of the cases. Sometimes you start with, you enter to a research project. So there is a topic and a question that has yeah. already been defined by the university or a company. or yeah. So you enter and then you do your job. That's one way. But when you can propose the topic or when you just get individually hired, it's a very individual um, journey. Okay. So, but I can talk from my perspective and uh, I, I am in a, in a PhD where I could choose completely my topic and I can choose a bit how I work. It's a very flexible you. one. Yes. <laughs> And I came with the idea of the child-friendly cities because I was working on child-friendly yeah. cities and I was really curious, like, okay, we know what are the benefits of being child-friendly. We know how to do child-friendly cities, like how to design these amazing cities, playgrounds, mobility, everything. Yeah, of course. Why the hell are they not happening? <laughs> That's my research question. Oh, this is the real. This is the this real, is the real one. <laughs> not the one you talk about on the. Exactly. It's like, what the hell is happening? That what the? <laughs> I should put this sound. Sorry. On. Yes, this is child-friendly <laughs> podcast. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Yeah. <laughs> Four years to answer this question. Four years to answer this question. <laughs> I figured yeah. I will talk to the people who make the decisions and see what are their main drivers, personal drivers also, like what? <laughs> uh -huh, okay. So okay. What, what is, like as a politician, what drives you to make a decision in mm. the ground or in the policy or in the spatial aspect? Is it that 
yeah, I don't know, you want votes, or is it that you really believed on, on something, or is it that you got the knowledge from someone and you got inspired and you want to replicate True. it? So I want to really understand what are those uh, incentives, uh, if we want to call it like that, of of the people making the decisions to make that decision. Mm. So I'm putting it under the label of child friendliness because I'm interested in that, because I think that's important, because I think that's novel for urban planning as well. Yeah. But this could be for anything. I think that if we understand what is like the, the reasons, motivation, yeah. you mm. could, uh, in a way, uh, shape or, I don't know, uh, guide those motivations yeah, to, work to, on it, like, to what we know is yeah. already beneficial. So you're going to do interviews. Is it only on the in the Netherlands or you have like different cities? From yeah, I, I honestly don't know. So, but it's good what you ask. The first year you only read. Exactly, like what's <laughs> yeah, happening. Yeah. yeah, you make sure that nobody else has answered your question already what, because what that happens the? a lot. <laughs> what do you do? Like, do you Google like... <laughs> What? You do. <laughs> Why not? It's a lot of reading, right? In the first. It's a lot of reading at the beginning. Is it boring? Thank or? Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. It's confusing, honestly, Why? because I think a disadvantage in life is not to have information, but having too much information is also mm. a disadvantage. Like you need to make a decision already on what, how to simplify the your life because you're not going to solve the whole world the whole field it's a contribution it's a contribution of mm. something very little so you need to narrow it down so the first year is about exploring everything that you can and then deciding i need to stop exploring <laughs> <laughs> what what if you find that okay somebody answer your question yeah then you give back the money to the university <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like well you have to go <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because it happens and it <laughs> happens a lot that you find that they've already answered. Are you like, oh fuck, no? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I, well, now I'm a PhD. In <laughs> no, um, it, it happens a lot. Really? So then, what what people do is um, they build on that. So okay. So, uh -huh, okay. Yeah. So somebody answered my question in Sweden. Yes. But nobody has seen this question in Ecuador, mm. which is another context. So yeah. I'm going to test what the Swedish are doing in Ecuador to see if this is applicable in every context. Okay. okay. That's a way you can So you, you like up, up, upgrade. Yeah, you, you upgrade yeah. it. Or you say, yeah, somebody answered the question, but I don't trust their uh, model of how they answer it. Okay. So maybe it's wrong. So then you go. Really? In, yeah. And then you... Like do it on your own way. Yeah, you re you replicate it, or it's great if you do it again because maybe then you find the mistake that the person before wow. did. I didn't know that. So yeah, that you can do this. Yeah, of course, because no, uh, scientific knowledge is it exists until someone can disprove it. So that means we need to have people <laughs> disproving all these theories all the time. Oh my god! Right? I think I think I think we can do that in the coming years when we have the AI when we put the data yeah. and then we can put the phds and see which one is like who made a mistake <laughs> which one is a fake one which one is like a true story but then okay then there's a problem like i don't know yeah <laughs> it's a complicated is, there is because who has um built and designed that robot yeah and then right and then maybe the, the data are the same data that went to the phds and then the, exactly then so there's no point of uh, doing the i mean if humans have something a resource that will last forever <laughs> is questions <laughs> <laughs> so no so you were you were reading first like year or months 
I was reading the first year. Yeah. I, I have to say that I came with an advantage and a disadvantage. <laughs> okay. So the advantage was that I worked a lot in practice. So I, I really knew why I wanted to answer that question. Yeah, you have a like, yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know that much about research itself. Ah. And my supervisors always tell me, Bibiana, you're writing a PhD, not a pledge. <laughs> because okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I always yeah. there come, is a style, yeah. I always come to decide that I want to advocate for these. I mm. want to find enablers. I want to find what motivates them so I can push them to do. And then you're not allowed to take a side, right? Of or? course, I'm not allowed ah. to take a side. So I have to be very open to think. Yeah, maybe child-friendly cities is a very bad thing. Bad thing, or a concept that will not take us anywhere. Imagine uh, in the end of your PhD, you will, <laughs> and then you, you will I, be on the newspaper. I, <laughs> 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 Vivian, the one who advocates for <laughs> adult-centric city, will be my <laughs> and everyone will, hey, we want our money back, our money back. <laughs> yes, yes, all my money back. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. And this happens to a lot this of is people, difficult. actually, you know, and, and you're in your own topic and there and studying and studying. And then you realize, oh, my God, these first years took me to just prove that I was wrong all the time. Oh, my God. Change <laughs> profession, be a translator, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my next profession. I'm be now, by the way, for, for the listeners, we are talking about translation because yeah, yesterday we had uh, or you tell the story because they ask you to do it. Well, it was very random, but we had... I thought it was planned. Oh, well, good. <laughs> no, it was really good. I thought really it was very... Everything was arranged and... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we had the vice mayor of Pontevedra yeah. in Spain. So uh, she spoke English, actually, but she felt more comfortable exactly. speaking yeah. Spanish. Yeah. So uh, Charlotte, who is the uh, Place Making Europe director, she also speaks Spanish, actually, and very well. <laughs> and that's why she was like... I, 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 I was like... Does Charlotte understand Spanish or she's just doing this to make things look good? Yeah, like to nod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand. No. <laughs> no, she speaks very okay, good cool, Spanish. Cool. So she was going to translate uh, mm. or to help if yeah. uh, actually the, the vice mayor was going to speak in English. And then if Charlotte could explain something further, she would do it. Um, but then she came to me and she's like, well, you actually are a native speaker. So can you translate? Yeah. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good, no? Uh, so, yeah, it was really, really I good. I think, no, I, am, I have a new space in my heart for translators because <laughs> it's so hard to <laughs> memorize what the person before was saying. And yeah, then if they, if especially if I, because I tried, I translate from, from Arabic to Swedish or to English sometimes for my parents. And in the beginning, they were telling like the entire story I'm, and I don't remember anything, just the name of my dad. Then I told them like, tell me one sentence by one sentence, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then there's the real thing of lost in translation. Oh, that happens in everything. So. <laughs> but no, I think, well, they, because it was good that she actually knows English. Yeah, so, because when we were asking, she 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 understood, and the answer was perfect because, like, she told it in Spanish, and you translate in a good way. So yeah, but uh, or we hope that you translate it in the right way. I hope the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that that's what I was saying. It was like, okay, if she wouldn't speak English, I could say anything. She wouldn't know anyways. Right. Yeah, she ah. has to trust me, right? But she knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. whenever I translate, she's gonna be aware of the, did she do it good or not. So I was the like, fun. The fun part when <laughs> she said about the speed limit, mm. and 
she she said something in Spanish and and you be like uh how do I translate this and then she told you it's a speed limit ah <laughs> uh, yes because I was like uh. <laughs> I also found it super funny because she was saying oh the the car sound run run yeah yeah and people were looking at me to see if I how would do the run run I had to do it I mean I could not skip it <laughs> <laughs> this is like a literally good translator. <laughs> yeah, like it's a Because you know, like I talked with some translator when we came here to Sweden, um, we couldn't speak Swedish, so we had always a translator with us. And you know, they in the in the when the start, they how to say, they don't like they swear that I will translate every single letter or every single things happening because they have obligation. You know, mm. it's like swear on the Bible or something like this. But yeah. it's but they they have to say something in the beginning like oh. as a translator i i have the responsibility to translate everything okay yes, <laughs> but now yes. i remember you translate even the sound <laughs> <laughs> but i'm curious when you get here then the, the government gives you a translator yeah yeah yeah. it's uh, like how to say it's uh i don't know like we we are how to say we're we're so lucky to to be here to came here like you get the translator and uh, there is also specific translators like my mom in the beginning she needed to go to the doctor when we arrived mm -hmm. and there was a specific translator with the with a specialty in medicine and operations you know mm -hmm. it's not like a general translator yeah this translator has a has a specific area to translate swedish to arabic within hospital and medicine yeah and there's another one for business you know like mm -hmm. it's how's wow. it, it's too luxury yeah no it's amazing but also i'm thinking for example because well i don't know specifically in sweden but mm. in many places where you come uh, when you migrate right yeah. and you have so many things that you don't know if you should be saying right true, true, if you true. don't know if the government can yeah you know because you are on the hands of the government to stay or to not yeah, stay yeah. or so if the translator understands everything, do they also have a contract in which they have to keep your secrets? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they have. They, 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 have they say, th I, if I remember correctly, they say this, that they are, they are going to translate and they are they to keep everything inside the room, that what happens here stays here and they are go not going to tell them, tell anything. Some They say some yeah, yeah. Uh, like the introduction. No, this is, imp I mean, this I is think very important. this is so important. Yeah. And I mean... I don't know how to. <laughs> I, I I don't want to make this connection, but the way you connect this to to the children, you know, yeah, in a way yeah. that I think that if you are in a situation like that, like a child, you feel how your parents feel. You know, like yeah. maybe if your mom had to tell you, like, don't say anything in front of this strange person, or to say it, or so the way mm, that no. they have implemented this system in a way that you feel good about it, exactly, <laughs> yeah, can make such a difference True. compared to other. Yeah, like it's so more a freedom that for children like to exp exp express themselves, you know. Yeah. But you say this is a luxury, but it shouldn't be. It's a right. It's I, a right. It's a right, I think. The yeah. right of, yeah. And, and especially because, I mean, we live in the same world. I mean, I say luxury because for me, like coming from from country with war, I see this too much, right? But yeah. as you say, it's 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 a right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, there are all these countries with resources right yeah and i know they look first for their citizens but mm. we're not making it anywhere as a as a word together yeah together if mm. we don't do it together so True. it's a lot about building this understanding uh, mm. among cultures among different situations among different vulnerabilities and 
I think language, like children speak a language that everybody understands. Yeah. <laughs> we all have children or, or, or near children and we know what they need, what they don't need. Compared to maybe as an adult, I really don't know what you need or what you want, right? I need to have that conversation with you. But if we can connect through the children, yeah. I mean, governments and countries could erase those borders hopefully mm -hmm. um and in, in in the small things you know not in the solving all the problems of the world but in solving you know your needs as recently coming here yeah. how am i able to communicate how am i able to be with my family mm -hmm. and feel trust with this new person that is here living yeah. with us because they need to translate what we do or, you know, going with us to the doctor that is That's such true. an intimate mm. place in a way mm. as a person. So, yeah, I, I think it all goes back to, to these small things that could make you feel true. good. Yeah. No, I, 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 I am telling you, you did a good job because when we arrived here to Sweden, like the first, until now, like it's sometimes it's me who are calling the doctors to, mm. you know, to book an appointment. And so, so I work as as a translator for yeah, the family, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't translate the sounds. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> now, Vivian, it's really interesting to, to yeah. talk to you. And now we are in the last section of this episode. Yes. And I have some uh, couple of questions. Oh, okay. So let's see if you're prepared or let's see your answer. Because, because like, <laughs> I didn't send you any questions, which is fine. That's why we took so long. <laughs> 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 so I can shorten my questions. <laughs> my answer. Yeah. So the first uh, question is, if you will get uh, $1 million, what will you do with, with it as a professional? <sighs> Not as a Vivian, like uh, buying a house and <laughs> no, yeah. like, and, and if... As a as a project, huh. what will you do with this money? Uh, it's a great question. <laughs> um, I think I would support people doing stuff at a smaller scale that are really doing impact in their communities by providing these magic circles, as I was saying, right? Like. Or bringing, like, it's just that I don't want to simplify it to say, like, you know, we'll do a workshop about child friendliness in every single space so that we can create awareness. Yeah. <laughs> but in a way, it is it is needed still. There is a lot of need for, for advocacy, but that translates into the impact. So, and the impact is being done really by these very small scale um groups activists professionals that don't have access uh, normally to the to the big funding and one of the reasons why they don't have access to the big funding is because they don't speak the same language or they're expected to have this research uh, language yeah. or you know like business terms or so i think uh, for me i i would i would spend it on that you know on programs that would allow them to you know do the work that they to facilitate yeah. the work that they do the impact that they're already having um in in, in ways that they can keep doing it uh, constantly yeah you know? yeah do you have like a, a niche is it like with uh, uh children with food with uh, or no um well i would uh, i wouldn't say that i will approach the people that is uh, working with children 
that I would approach the people that is working on the public space to make them think from the children perspective that yeah. we spoke about today. And uh, and I would do it definitely, well, I, I want to say worldwide because uh, we, I, I was telling you from the beginning, we believe a lot that the Latin American culture, for example, has so many things or so many processes of co-creation that we use of using resources in a good way that the North could learn from. Yeah. So that knowledge exchange is something that I would really like to do from this perspective of connecting to your emotions and feeling good about the work that you do and learning from others mm. at the same time. And then that translated in the impact that you're already creating, you know? Yeah. At the scale that mm. that is a small scale. Mm. Yeah. What should urban planners stop doing? Stop doing? Yeah. <laughs> planning so much that's <laughs> <laughs> our profession Vivian <laughs> we get paid for this <laughs> ah, <it's>, uh... <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> should I quit my job <laughs> oh, no. um, I think planners should stop um, we were we were discussing about this yesterday but we said like are planners over designing mm. And I was saying, well, it really depends. What do you call over designing? Hmm? So we were saying, we were talking about the parks in Helsingborg. It's like, yeah. are they really overly designed? They have a lot of things. Are we really thinking about too much? Like we have a park with 16 different sounds and, <laughs> you know, the jungle park, yeah. which I love. And these different animals and these different scales. And it takes so much to think about this. And I was like, no, 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 you should keep doing that. Like the level of detail brings an experience that it's yeah. like amazing. Mm. But what I mean by stop planning or stop over designing is stop planning the result uh, as in a way that you think you can control the, the conclusion or the consequences of your project. Uh, we think about mobility as we need this transition to sustainable mobility. We think about energy, we need this transition. And we think we can control everything towards that. <laughs> so we need to stop thinking that mm. we as planners, just because we have the chance to plan, it will go as we think it will go. Mm. It's, I know a lot of people is aware of that, that the plan will not go that way. But how can we stop being so rigid about those plans? Or how can we stop being so, um, how to put this, um, you know, that the most perfect my plan is, or the most detailed my plan is, or the most thought my plan is, the biggest chance of, chance of success it has. Yeah. It's not like that. The most flexible your plan mm. is, if it has a clear purpose, Everything, every other action, even if it doesn't come from your control, can align to that purpose. So think about the purpose, yeah. not about the plan. Mm, <laughs> and mm, I mm. think that is that is the the, the the new way of stop over planning, if you want to put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> what skill or skills that urban planners should learn? Well, the emotional, the emotional <laughs> <laughs> reading, I have to say, yes. <laughs> yeah, really, how, how connections work, mm. how human connections are, and not only human, uh, 
our connections to nature uh, in the in the recent project that we were doing on urban pedagogy we teach the children how to do a stakeholders map you know really oh, you do that yeah we do that we teach what them. do you tell them yeah it's like okay there are, this is for you as children you're important but this is a neighborhood go and map how many neighbors are here what do they do who they are what are their needs what do they think about the neighbor yeah and we teach them of yeah, the complex methodologies of stakeholder okay. mapping mm. that they taught us in the masters huh? and we send them to do that i mean there's they're 13 yeah, 14 yeah. And, but they know right yeah and when they came back <laughs> it was amazing because the map didn't had only people the map had the tree the river the birds the pets i mean uh. the dogs walking around the school were their most important actor <laughs> because they <laughs> it was amazing oh, that's crazy because that's <laughs> they realized that the only reason why they feel safe in the neighborhood is because there were so many people uh, walking with their dogs that's so sweet so they were mm. like the most important thing we have to keep in the neighborhood are the dogs yeah and then it also and then they also said like if we introduce something to the to the place yeah we've seen a lot of birds will the birds will stay and if the birds could have a say on what we're doing, what would they say? And I was like... You were like, oh, oh, oh this God, is like too yeah. much for me. But then I went to Google research. <laughs> is this a question that someone has asked? And there is, there is a lot wow. of theory or not a lot, but it's a new theory yeah. about non-human participation. So if the river could tell you, hey, no, 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 don't put so much cement on me, you know? <laughs> I mean, how do you explore the dynamics of a non-human I mean, we cannot manage the, the human participatory. Ima Are we going imagine, <laughs> yeah. No, but <laughs> it's a very interesting topic. Yeah, but it's about so really, true. how do you uh, ambition or, or yeah. observe the dynamics of a non-human entity and translate it into a participatory process? And uh, I forgot why I was saying all this, but I think it was because... <laughs> <laughs> it was like uh, skills that we should learn. Yeah. You tell the emotions and then... You mentioned that you you uh, do this exercise with the children. Yes, yes. So what I wanted to say is that we need to learn about emotions, but these emotions come from a connection. And sometimes it's human, but sometimes it's a natural connection. Like they were when we map the emotions with the children, yeah. they systematically said, you know, we felt happier when we saw a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't matter what other human stakeholder lives in the neighborhood. We need the dogs. <laughs> and that was their biggest emotion. So when you work with children, you realize nature is one of the biggest Important, yeah. themes. Yeah, yeah. And that can change us collectively as well. So learning about emotions and learning about those emotions from the natural environment mm. as well, that's something that everybody needs yeah. to to start learning as a skill connecting with your emotions yourself you know yeah it's an mm. important skill very interesting and uh, the next next question is like this so if 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 all cities call you email you <laughs> and they tell you vivian uh can you introduce a policy to us or uh, introduce a physical object to us in our city what will you introduce if all cities also come. they will send you an email you wake up you see your email like, like full of mayors and you know all like uh, asking you vivian we would love to have uh, your mind here so uh, <laughs> what will you add 
Well, I have to say that this methodology that we are working on of uh, urban pedagogy and how to include the built and natural environment in the education system and working from those yeah. emotions. Um, if if I could introduce that to every curriculum in every city of the world, <laughs> I would love to do that. Yeah. Huh? But if it has to be also something way more simple, I mean, I would introduce a, a play space in a in a place where nobody was expecting it, you know? Like where? I mean, I don't know if you've seen this uh, example, but uh, in, in in the Netherlands, they when you go in the tram, they have a crocodile sticker on the window. And it just have a clear instruction, like look through the crocodile's mouth yeah. with one eye. So you close one eye and yeah. then you look in... And then try to eat as much people as you can. So the thing is that the, because the tram is moving, the crocodile uh, is, eating. is eating the people that is walking in the sidewalk. <laughs> so you just go in the one, two, three, four, five, this and you so count cool. points. <laughs> and when they recently introduced that, oh my God, you'll enter to the tram and everybody was laughing, you know, everybody was like counting and... I mean, it was such a nice thing, you know. <laughs> I don't know what the evidence is yeah. uh, nowadays to see like how happier were people when they reached they their jobs yeah. or how should much. Should do it like a research. Or... Yeah, yeah. There, there must be a research, you know. Yeah. So the Dutch, they think about everything. But <laughs> but I would love to. This you is know, so fun. Yeah, I mean, if, if I could tell like one tip to yeah. every city is like, Introduce one playful thing that reaches... It's also very simple. It's very simple, right? Yeah. That can allow you to build all this evidence on emotions, you know, yeah. on, on connections. Like, is it people really using it in the tram and laughing? Are they talking to each other? Are they competing to, with each other? <laughs> Did they reach laughing to their job? Or are they just, you know... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, <laughs> with the crocodile. It's so simple, really. <laughs> talking about animals and, and, and non-human. If, if you... If you can choose to be something else, but not you, mm. what will you choose to be and Some, why? An something. And anything, but not a human. You know, like you can be any anything, like animal, object, I, I don't know, material, you know, you, you decide. Mm. So think about what can you be, what is the thing that represents you and why? Oh, I'm going to say water. Water? Yeah. Okay. And this is probably the, se the first time I reply to the question with this element <laughs> but i i love water because it's flexible it runs through different places <laughs> it also takes things from different places either cleaning them mm. or providing them with something and uh, it's I, I don't want to be vital anywhere, so maybe that's not the part of the water I want to be like. <laughs> but, you know, for me to, to be water as a, if it, if I can, as a transition or as a, how to put it, like if it passed, it yeah. passed through here and it brought us something good because I don't think, oh, maybe a flood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But if you think just about like a, a nice flow of yeah, water, yeah. it always brings something positive. And mm. I would like to, you know, come with some positivity and flexibility everywhere and yeah. keep taking with me everything that I could learn to the next place and so on. So I think wow. that's, that's why. <laughs> so cool. <Water. laughs> 
yeah, but I can be a flood somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> when you get angry, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's too much enthusiasm. I think it's sometimes overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, how is the story or the background that you became part of the Placemaking Europe Network? Uh, I think it was in 2019. I finished my master's uh, in the Netherlands. I did a master's then in urban management and, and development. Um, because after working in public spaces from this uh, voluntary yeah. group, I thought like, okay, I really need to study something about this. <laughs> so I went to the Netherlands and then I stayed and I wanted to, um, uh, to work somewhere. And, uh, I worked w- with Stipo, um, also in the, uh, the, the, the CTRI level for kids book. Yeah, and we what we did is mainly translating that into a manual that people can use when you go in the and you can find it in the in the toolbox as well. I use this when I uh, give lectures in the university, by the way. Oh, ah, that's awesome! Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> that's what I that's what we did when we were well. I did when I was at Stipo, and uh, then I stayed as part of the of the network of the family and. It really feels like a big family. It has opened so many professional possibilities. It has opened so many room for impact uh, everywhere of of this changing knowledge and uh, exchanging experiences. We were talking yesterday about mistakes as well, right? So, <laughs> and and we learn from each other. True. Um, mistakes, but also from each other, the, the, everything that we do, right? So that's. It was amazing. I mean, it just came as a, as a small opportunity of working for a few months there on this project. Uh, but it has become a crucial part of my life, I have to say. Like, I really yeah. use the placemaking hat everywhere, the placemaking Europe hat everywhere. And I'm very happy to be part of this network. Really. So, like, uh, what do you do? Are you active or what is, like, what are your activities with the network? Uh, so I focus a lot, of course, on the kids uh, part, the Placemaking Europe Kids Group, which is uh, also very active. We we meet every month. Sometimes we meet with a very specific purpose of doing a webinar or posting a research question mm. or uh, thinking about inviting someone and or doing a manual, like, you know, an yeah. outcome. But sometimes we just get together and we have coffee and we discuss like, how did you do this month and how did you do that month? And we discuss everything from the methodologies of how to take children seriously, from the design to to this month, I didn't do any anything or yeah. <laughs> or this month I didn't get paid. How are we going to look for funding? <laughs> or this month I made a lot of money and okay. I did it this yeah. way. So. Also, the the professional side yeah. that it's very, I like it because it's not this professional place where you need to show how amazing you are in your profession. <laughs> yeah, like the success and numbers and all. Yes, this. and I want everybody calling me because I know for I don't know if yeah. that's the case in every profession, right? But but here is about really getting together and looking how we put place making in the top. Uh, priorities of municipalities and of cities right so i know that if all my colleagues are doing well there's going to be more space for all of us to work on what we enjoy Mm. so i think it's such a nice collaborative environment and and we focus on that mainly on on children and and play but also gender Uh, but in general also i think we we push for the movement uh, of place making 
how can people join uh, this working group like let's say i want to join you how yeah. do i do that yeah just to send us an email there's a place making europe uh, web page and if you look for the working group mm. kits then you can send us an email and we immediately invite you to the next uh, mm. to the next meeting that we have to discuss nice. and introduce each other when is the next meeting uh next month i don't know exactly which it's like day. a july july yeah mm -hmm. july then well maybe september we skip always sometimes that <laughs> august um because everybody goes on summer holidays but sometimes we still have is, is it like is july it, we have one. yeah is it rewarding to be part of um uh part of this i think yes i mean um as i said you learn so much from your peers and also you learn so much in a place where you can be vulnerable about what's not going well in your job. Um, so from a non-competitive environment. Yeah. Uh, but I have to say also critically that it is still a movement that needs a lot of work from all of us, that it's still so much difficulties to convince uh, the municipalities that this is a topic they should mm. work on to grasp you know what is it that you talk about emotions and people yeah. when either i put the bench or i don't put the bench you know that's mm. the tangible thing for me <laughs> so um so in that in that critical way sometimes it's frustrating you know that you do all this work that it's not valued yet true and 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 how do we make that happen you know but I think in the short time that we have been together, I don't know, I'm going to say 2019 that I joined, but there are, there's only a few years, right, that mm. the network exists. We've achieved a lot. It would yeah. be awesome if we could achieve it faster, you know. I understand. But uh, but I think it's it's paying back slowly. Yeah, yeah. 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 You will get an email from me then. Yeah, definitely. Mm. No, July. Don't, I'll don't, see don't, don't block or don't put it on uh, the spam or something. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> yes. So, so Vivian, now I have the last two questions. Mm -hmm. So the first one is about you giving me and the listener three takeaway messages about how do we create better future cities. Mm -hmm. So three, three messages. Yeah. Um, think about what makes you happy in your life and compare it to the spaces that you're using <laughs> and uh, think if that thing that's making you happy could make other people happy and you could create that space from the role that you have right so uh, i would say that's that's the first key message connect to your own emotions and next to that is have a purpose uh, we talked about models, methodologies, all these things that I said are so important. But the most important thing is that you have a clear purpose. If you do, and that's your ultimate goal, all the systems will align towards that. You will find the right energy, you will, you will find the right people that align to that purpose and that are going to help you achieve that. So have a, have a purpose not only for yourself, but of course, this is the purpose of Better City. So as I was saying, I have this child-friendly city vision as my purpose. Everybody yeah. has their own purpose. Uh, so try to think about that and, and, and put it to yourself everywhere so you can visualize it. Um, and the third thing is definitely have fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the responsibility of urban planners is super hard yeah i mean making 
cities that are good, that are healthy, that are equal, that provide opportunities for everybody is a very serious task. But we are not going to come with innovative ideas if we are not having fun. We are not going to want to keep working about that if we are not having fun. So use play. Use play in your own creative process, in your own um, thinking process, in the participatory methods, in the way you communicate with your colleagues. Use creative ways, you know, and that will spark moments of serendipity that you didn't expect to happen and then you can think about the serious part of the work that you have to translate it into the hardware you know <laughs> but uh, having fun is, is crucial to yeah. create better cities honestly <laughs> really <laughs> really interesting and the last question is actually going to be you asking it to me and to the listener so what is your question to us well i am curious to know what I, I was saying that uh, we should ask everybody from your role what do you think that was something that marked you as a child whether positively or negative that you would like every child to have the opportunity to replicate that great experience or that you can do from your job so that no child has to go through that experience anymore super interesting well Vivian, thank you so much. Really, like I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying talking to you, and we just can go, uh, you know, talk forever. <laughs> But I'm really happy and uh, to see you, and hopefully we're gonna meet again. We're gonna talk more, and I, I follow your work. I'm have to say you're a superhero. You're a big inspiration for me. So really, keep up the good work and keep loving cities. No, keep telling stories the way you do it, and keep telling your story because it's also so inspiring. I think you are a really amazing source of inspiration in so many ways. You've integrated our community in a way that nobody was expecting it, I feel. I don't know, like, I remember seeing seeing you as this new person I've never met. And then all of a sudden, you know, you you were the the binder of everything, you know, through you, I can know everything <laughs> that I want to know about the, about the field, about cities. And uh, I think that is uh, super amazing that you've managed to use this amazing talent to bring us all together, to be able to talk about the things we like and to build, build on that for better cities. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.